Amen, Lord. Your goodness is running after us. You have been so, so good to us all the days of our life. As we look back, we think it was us, some of us, but it was always you. When we were walking through that dark place in our life, you were there. You were carrying us sometimes in those dark places. Your goodness chased us down. And one day we saw you. And we gave ourselves to you. Makes me think of the verse. Your loving kindness is new every morning. And great is your faithfulness to us. Lord, help us to be faithful to you. Because you've been faithful to us. Help us to love you with all of our heart. Help us to know and believe who you are. Help us to know and believe your word as we study it, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for redeeming us. And we were in a grave. We were dead, but we were alive. But now we're alive forever since that day. That day that we received your son Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. Thank you. Thank you for that day, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to us that day when we were redeemed. We came to faith in Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here right now. And thank you for helping us hear and understand what you have to say to the church today. Whether it's this church, the church out over the air, Lord God, help every parishioner, Lord, to hear the word of God and help them to, f to make a courageous decision to follow after you. Let them not be ashamed. They're following the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the God of all gods. Father, help us to be brave and courageous to find Jesus and receive him as our Savior today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 God bless you, everybody. For those of you on the air that, that have just tuned in, you're listening to Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches, and I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. Uh, we're glad you're here. Um, we're doing a special study. Um, we're in Lesson 4 of this special study. Um, actually, the second part of Lesson 4. It took a long, longer time than I thought last week to do. Um, which is which is good. That may happen again, and I'm glad it does. We're doing a study. We were on lesson four, as I said, halfway through. I'm calling it, you know, about face. I've taught this years ago. Of course, I've modified it quite quite a bit. It's we're told in the scripture that. We are soldiers of Christ. A lot of the church has forgotten that, that we are soldiers. And uh, you need to be, you need to know that, that just because you haven't heard that term in many years, you are a soldier of Christ. That means you, if you're in a soldier, then there's possibly war going on. And if you don't know it, we live in what's known as the War of all ages that is still raging today. 
It's the, it's the war between righteousness and evil. It's the war between good and bad. It's the war between the saints and the devil. And it's the war that had already been white, uh, won by Christ at Calvary. See, the battle's won. When you became a Christian church, you became a soldier of Christ. A lot of us think that uh, we can just sit around in a chair and do nothing. Well, that's not the truth. One day, while you were walking down your life, you know that poster that says, Uncle Sam wants you, while well, Jesus says, I want you. Everybody on the face of the earth. All 707 billion people God wants. He wants you. We learned about face. In the army, you, you do an about face. Your life completely changes. And when you came to know God as your Savior, Christ as your Savior, your life should have completely changed. You should have been crucified with Christ. It should be no longer you who live, but Christ that lives in you. You did an about face. That means turn around and go 180 degrees in the other direction. You were following the world, and now you're following Christ. That's an about face in Scripture. It's important. If any of you out there over the Internet or in this church today, you need to know that if any of you strays from the truth and one turns him back, we have, you have just saved this man from, uh, from, from the from the evil known and led him back to the knowledge of Christ. And he escaped the snare of the devil. King Josiah did that in Israel. He was just an eight-year-old boy that became king, and they found the scriptures in the temple. And he made an about-face. He did an about-face, had all of Israel follow after God. And it's written in the scripture, there was no king like him except for his father David. When you go into the army, your whole life changes. That's called repentance. The church needs to know today that you need to repent in order to get into the kingdom of God. There is no salvation without repentance. That means you turn from your sins. You go the other way. It's an about face. That's what King Josiah did with Israel. He made an about face. And as you well know, as the king goes, so goes the nation for the most part. That's why we want righteous people in leadership. That was lesson one. Number one, repent about face. Number sec Lesson number two was basic training or discipleship. Once you come to know Christ, you have to be trained. If you're a soldier, after you're drafted or you join the Army or the Navy or the Air Force or the Marines or the Coast Guard, whatever it is, you know, you, you have to go to training. And that's what happens when a Christian, you need to be discipled. I remember many years ago, 40-some 40, 40 years ago, you know, I was a, a stumbling, bumbling Christian. Whatever felt good, I still did it. I learned the hard way. 
Then I hooked up with a pastor came knocking out my door one day. I was actually on my knees at the couch praying that God would send us to a good church or find a good church because we had just moved. Here comes this pastor to the door all by himself. Didn't even go out two by two. All by himself. And he invited me to church. And I took my family there for eight years until we moved on. And he passed away. He trained me. He took me aside. He saw that I was so hungry for Scripture. I memorized the whole seventh chapter of Matthew. He noticed that, and he says, he said, Joe, he says, I'm going to start a discipleship class, and you're going to be my first and only student. And I'll tell you what, I sucked it up. Boy, every Sunday before church, every Saturday we prayed. And he trained me. He spoke to me about the Scripture. We're told to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. We're to put on the whole armor of God. And that's what basic training or discipleship teaches you. How to, how to be trained to serve the living God with all of your heart. How to use the weapons of warfare that God has given you. And we already went through that. But He's given you a helmet of salvation that protects your mind and your eyes. That helmet is important. You remember Goliath? He took his helmet off. He says, I'm fighting a kid. Listen, you ain't fighting no kid whenever God's there. And that stone sank deep within his, within his head, between his eyes. You don't take off the helmet of salvation. Then you have a breastplate of righteousness. So many Christians have taken off their breastplate of righteousness. They walk in and different kind of sins, and they brag about it. Homosexuality, sodomy, drunkenness, drugs, alcohol. When we come to Christ, most of us are so far gone, it takes us 10 years to figure out, try to get victory over our own bodies. It takes us too long. You need to be basic trained. You need to take, go to you know, men and women. Go to women's, men's Bible studies. Get to church. Train yourself. Listen to your preacher. Study. Memorize Scripture. In, in uh, Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to read the first four verses. You, therefore, son or daughter, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. The things which you have heard from me and in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men. That's what basic training is. It wants you to be faithful men to God who will be able to teach others so that you're trained so you can teach others. I was trained so that I could teach you. You were trained so that you could teach whoever you're over, your family. Suffer. Here's what Paul is telling Timothy, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ. Listen, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ. That means basic training is hard. It's very hard. It's hard to memorize Scripture. But as you get older, it's going to strengthen your mind. I can guarantee you that. You learn how to... to, to 
take that breastplate of righteousness and live a righteous life. So holy that people will ask you, what is different about you? And when they ask you, you can say, hey, I'm a Christian. I know Jesus is my Savior. And talk to them about Jesus and lead them to the Lord if possible. And we have a belt of truth which holds the weapons of our warfare. The belt holds your, your uh, sword. It holds your, it holds your uh, little knife, the big knife and a little knife. It holds your quiver of arrows if you are an archer. It also holds the medals that you have received from the Lord. And if you're a powerful, strong soldier in the Lord, I believe when the enemy comes against you, he sees all those awards on your, on your belt of truth, and he says, I'm out of here. That guy has a bronze star. That guy has a silver star. He has a gallantry cross. He has four purple hearts. I'm going to fight somebody else. You've got to keep on the armor of God. Nowhere in Scripture does it tell you to take off the armor. It says, put on Christ. Put on the armor of God. Never take it off. It's a one-size-fit-all. And it's unencumbersome. And then he has a, the shoes of peace where you preach the gospel to people. And then you have the shield of faith. Jesus used the shield of faith when the devil was tempting him. It is written. And he says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He takes that sword of the Spirit and just sticks it right where it belongs. And that devil is slayed. After basic training, there's a reveille. It's a call to attention. It's time for you to go to work. It's to wake up, sleeper, and rise from the dead. And Christ will shine his light on you. Just like he did with David. Goliath was out there blaspheming the God of Israel. And David said, oh no, you aren't going to blaspheme the name of my God. It was a call to attention. We need to wake up. At Reveille in the army, the trumpet blows, and you have about a half hour to get fully dressed and out in formation so that when the captain says, forward march, you're ready to go. Be ready in season and out of season. Reveille. It's a call to attention. It's to wake up out of sleep. Your salvation is nearer now than it was when you got saved four years ago, 40 years ago. Christ is coming back. He wants a church that's, that's sparkling clean. And that's why your breastplate of righteousness has to be there. You can't say you're a Christian and live like the devil. Reveille is a time when, when you return to your first love. You remember, you repent, you return. You do the good works that you did at first because you just learned them in basic training. You return to your first love. You fall back in love with Jesus. Now, the last chapter that we were, were in is chapter 4, which is lesson 4. It's called AIT, Advanced Instructional Training. Or also it's called MOS, your Military Occupational okay. Service. Military Occupational Service. Yeah, it's the same thing. After, after basic training... 
you know, and you're trained to get in reveille and up every morning, call to attention. The next step is the Army gives you new orders. They've tested you. They found out you're strong in memorization. You're, you have got good eyesight. You have good uh, physical control over your body. They test you and find out what your strength is. And then they send you to school to strengthen that, that gift that you have. Some people have great eyesight and they become pilots or helicopter uh, pilots or jet pilots. Some people, you know, have, uh, are, are have good hearing and they can, they can go into communication. And you're trained for that. You're trained. And in that ch this chapter, we are going to learn about the gifts of the Spirit, which is, you know, um, gifts of the Spirit. But last week, you know, we went over quite a few things, and I'm just going to review real quick. And I'll tell you why I review is because when you get into a study that's eight weeks long or however long, it should be a quick review so you can remember what happened last week because some of us can't. Part two, last week we talked about the spiritual gifts, okay? Well, let me, I'm going to read them for you here shortly, but here, spiritual gifts. There are 17 spiritual gifts in the Scripture. Nine of them are in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Six of them are in Romans 12, 6 through 8, and two gifts are in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and I'm going to go through them. I'm going to run through them real quick, Okay? These 17 gifts, there are three that are revelatory gifts that God will give you. You have to figure out what did God give you, and then you, get, then you train yourself for it. You, you're trained how to use it. Three revelatory gifts, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and the discerning of spirits. They're revelatory um, gifts. That means that God has to reveal them to you. You could walk into a place and you can sense this is a den of iniquity. I am going out. Somebody comes to you with, with, with uh, words that, that uh, aren't, aren't quite right. You have the gift of discerning of spirits. You can say, oh, no, this is not from God. Okay? The word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and discerning of spirit. There's power gifts. Some Christians have gifts of power. If you're not using them, there could be somebody out there that needs a healing, and because you haven't been trained in that gift, you can't go over there and in Jesus' name declare a healing to him. So these power gifts are faith, healing, and miracles. Faith. Do you realize how powerful faith is? Jesus said this in Matthew 11. He said, have faith in God. If you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and if you don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you said will happen, God will grant it to you. That is faith. It's faith. That's a power faith. It's, a, it's like in the army, you're, you're an artillery sergeant, and you shoot the artillery, and it just blows the smithereens, that mountain, and just levels it out of your way. That's faith. It moves mountains. And notice God did not say, pray that he remove the mountain for you. He says, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast in the sea. He wants you to develop your faith. He wants you to have enough faith in him to know that he will grant it to you if 
you pray. And if you have faith, miracles, a lot of miracles are covered up and healings are covered up because a lot of Christians are not operating in their gifts that God has given to them. And that's part of AIT to be trained, advanced instructional training, how to use those gifts. And I'm going to show you those gifts today and, and with an explanation and a scriptural reference to them. We have, we have three revelatory gifts, three power gifts, and three vocal gifts. Number one, tongues. Number two, the interpretation of tongues and prophecy. You know, a lot of Christians fight against this. Tongues. A lot of people don't like it. They're afraid of it. But it's necessary. It's necessary for the person that has the gift of tongues. It's an unrecognizable language. Only God knows what you're praying. And it's the Spirit of God within you that, that mouths the words so that it would be prayed and whatever's in your way would be moved out of the way. Or whatever. The devil is just like in the army. I was communication. I learned Morse code. I learned how to send and receive Morse code. You know the dots and the dashes? You know SOS, three dots, three dashes, three, do three more dots. I had to send, I had to learn 15 words 15 words a minute. That's fast. There was 300 of us when we started out. There was like 30 that graduated. So, MOS. When I send a, a code in MOS, the enemy doesn't know what it is. Of course, nowadays, they, they know because Morris Code is so popular. So they, you know, during World War II, I told you, you watch the movie Wind Talkers where they used the Navajo Indian language that Japanese and Germans didn't understand. But you can send and receive. So when you're praying to God in, in a gift of tongues, it's not to look down on this gift because it's the least of a gift because it only edifies yourself. When, when you pray to God, listen, you know, the enemy don't know what is happening. He is left in dis disarray. So it's an important gift, even though it's at a self-edification. The other two gifts, the interpretation of tongues and prophecies, are for edification of the church. Now, Paul says the gift of tongues is least of them all, but that doesn't mean you don't have it or you don't use it or you run from it. Listen, if God gives a gift, it's good, right? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? So, it's good. All gifts from God are good. Me, personally, if God wants to give me a gift, I'll take them all. You know why? Because they're good. If my dad, my, my earthly dad, would have bought me a bicycle and a skateboard and a Frisbee and says, which one, you know, you can have... You can, uh, you can pick one or you can have them all. I'm going to take them all because I'm greedy. No, not really. So listen. Then there's other oriented gifts. Listen to them. Here they are. Teaching, exhortation, giving, learning, mercy, and service. Where would this world be if Jesus didn't teach. The greatest teacher that ever walked on the face of the earth. 
This world would be really in sad, sad shape if Jesus didn't exercise his gift of teaching. So we went over those last week. And we're going to go look a little deeper into them as we move on. But first I'm going to read that passage, the passage to you. The passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. We're going to read from verse 4 until I stop around the 23rd verse, okay? But here, the first verse in this chapter, Paul says to the Corinthian church, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Or the church should be not ignorant of the gifts of God. Ignorant means uh, lack of knowledge. Paul is telling you we need to have the knowledge of these gifts. And here they are, verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different differences of administration ministries, but the Lord, the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but the same God. You see the trinities involved there? You see that? The same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God are involved in all these gifts. Who works all in all, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for profit of all. For to one is given the word of, of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kind of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit distributes to each one individually as he wills. So whatever gift you have, God gave it to you through the Spirit. Develop it. It's important. Let me continue with the first part of that verse. For by one Spirit... We were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For the fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, is it therefore not part of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole whole were, were hearing, where would the smelling be? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again to the, the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. 
and our unprecedentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to the parts which lack it, that there should be no schism or division in the body. But yet these gifts cause much division. That's because of the ignorance of the church. And one member suffer, and if one member suffers, they all suffer. If one is honored, all the members are rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. We are the body of Christ. The whole church is the body of Christ. And we all have different gifts, and they're all necessary. You need your legs. Talk to some of those veterans that have their legs taken off. You need them. You're crippled in your ministry if you don't have legs. It's important. Every member is important. How would you button your shirt if you didn't have hands? We need these gifts in operation in the church today. I mentioned last week, every one of us has gifts. I mentioned in the, in the army, you are in the army of God, remember that. You are a soldier of Christ, like it or not. You were drafted or called into a, the war of all ages, as I said, and it is still raging today, but the church, for the most part, has forgotten about it. The war goes on. Read chapter 7 of Daniel. It's, it's the war of all ages is going on. And I say it so many times because it's so important. The devil, the big horn, the little horn are making great blasphemies against God. And the Ancient of Days is hearing them, and he's not so happy about them. And here comes the Son of Man, Christ, on a, on a cloud. And he goes up to the Ancient of Days, and God says this. He says, I pronounce my verdict, and I rule in favor of the saints. And it's time for the saints to possess the kingdom. How are you going to possess if you aren't trained in military tactics? And that's what the Lord is doing here. He's trying to train the church, or Paul's trying to chain, train the church to op operate in military tactics. For one thing, I use I use the artillery. You know, if you have the if you're where you were trained in the army and you were trained as an artillery uh, man in the artillery, that the, you are the one that blows up the mountain before the army goes in. You're the one that that um, drops the napalms as the VC run into you and attack. The infantry is, is frontline spiritual warfare. A lot of churches don't like that. We, we're, we're quite bordered on frontline spiritual warfare in this church. A lot of churches don't like us because we're frontline soldiers for the most part. We want people to get saved. We want them to be changed. We actually go out and talk to them about Jesus. We're not ashamed of Christ. A lot of churches are, well, no, that's a shame. You know what? There's a lady down here the last two days. She's been standing on the corner down here at High Paluxo in Congress with a sign. Little little lady, she's about this big, and says, Jesus loves you, or Jesus is coming back. Every day she has a different message. I toot to her as I go by. Nice little toot so she knows I acknowledge that. 
If you're in communication, if you have the gift of communication, teaching, preaching, use it. You know what I'm doing at the men's group in our in our back room? We've been having different teachers over the years. Like one guy took it for several years, another guy took it for several years. I took it for several years and taught it. But right now, you know what I'm doing? I'm having the guys rotate and teach each one of them so they would all learn how to teach the Word of God. So I'm more or less discipling them. So... You know, there, we need people that are preaching and teaching. You know, there's, in the Army, there's medics. Guess what medics are? They're healers. Somebody gets hurt, they go out and heal them. Or even perform miracles over them. We have missionaries. I call them snipers in the Army. They go out and one-on-one evangelism. We need to do it. We're soldiers of Christ. The mechanics in the army are repairers or restorers. They're the edifiers and the encouragers and the exhorters. We have office staff. There's administration. That's more like the brass in the army, the generals and the colonels and the, and, the, and the captains and the lieutenants. We need them in the army. We need them in God's army. Don't be upset if somebody has the gift of faith that actually go up to some blind person and lay his hands on him and believe that he's going to see. At least he attempted, had some faith to step out and try to lay hands on people. When I was a young Christian, I, I doubt my, my f- growth in faith many times because when I was a brand new Christian, I would actually go up to blind people and lay my hands on them and I believed that they would see. And none of them saw. Nowadays, I wouldn't even try it for the most part. I have, but, I mean, you know, I wonder. I had more faith when I was a young Christian than I do now. And that's not growth. I'm wondering that. I didn't say it's true. I'm just thinking that. You know, in the Army, you have supply clerks. Well, they're the ones that are equipping you. In the church is the same thing. There's people that are equipping you. There's your pastors, your elders, your deacons. There's the person sitting next to you that gives you an encouraging word. We're soldiers of Christ. Onward, Christian soldier, marching out to war. Like with the cross of Jesus going on before. I remember my kids when they were that little singing songs like that. The church don't sing those songs anymore. They forgot their soldiers. You forgot you were at war. We're sitting in comfortable seats, complacent. We said, why do I want to go on a missions trip to Haiti when I got these nice comfortable seats here? I've been in many special uh, missionary trips. Some churches just had dirt floors and no windows but holes. Some of them didn't have roofs, and they certainly didn't have chairs. You know what? And they were there every week. Some of them would walk for miles and miles and miles to hear the gospel. And if you had a 45-minute message or an hour message, these people would get mad at you. They just walked 10 miles to get here, and you quit in 45 minutes. The church today, we can't take it. If you go over an hour, boy, the church is long-winded. The pastor's long-winded. This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. It's eternal. It will last forever. So, it's the same 
Spirit. These gifts all are to work together for the good of the body. Listen, I believe every spirit, even a little church like this, there's 17 gifts. There's probably about that number of people here today, maybe more, you know. But there's 17 gifts. Why can't one of us have, each one of us have every one of the gifts be accounted for in this church? Some of us have more than one gift, just so you know it. Don't just stop at the one because God wants to give you all the gifts as far as I'm concerned. Some of these gifts work together with other gifts. And I'll show you that as we, as we move along. Well, the, the, here's the gift of wisdom. Well, what is the gift of wisdom? It's a supernatural ability to apply both human and divine wisdom. I'll give me a couple examples. 1 Kings chapter 3. There was this king, his name was Solomon. And there was two mothers fighting over this baby. The one said it was theirs, the other said it was, was theirs. And I won't go into the whole story, but Solomon was so wise, because that's what he prayed for when he became king. He said to the Lord, the Lord said to him, I'll give you whatever you want. What do you want? He says, give me wisdom to lead your great people. So because he got wisdom, God gave him riches and honor on top of it. But here's this baby being fought over by two women, both of them saying, they're, here's child, so Solomon says, servant, get your sword. Cut the baby in half, give one to that mother and one to that mother. And of course, you being a mother, I would have never thought of this, it's wisdom from God. You being a mother would say, oh no, you ain't killing my baby, let her have it, let her have it. So Solomon said, give the baby to that woman over there, because that's the mother. Wisdom. Spirit. Wisdom is so important. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. People out there, they have all kind of master's degrees, doctorate degrees. They might have five or six of them, but they don't have godly wisdom. They have earthly wisdom. You get godly wisdom from reading these this book. Acts chapter 8, Philip was called out of a powerful ministry in Samaria. God says, go to Gaza. He walks down to Gaza and he, you know, in the desert. So he goes. He left his ministry that was very probably financially profitable. See, he wasn't worried about money. He was worried about souls. God said, go. He went down to Gaza. There's an Ethiopian eunuch. Yeah, he's reading the scriptures. He's riding in his chariot, going back to Ethiopia. And, and he, you know, Philip and him hook up. He says, what are you reading? He says, I'm reading uh, Isaiah, I believe it was. And he says, he says, do you understand what you're reading? And, it, and the Ethiopian eunuch says, how can I? And Philip began to impart the wisdom uh, to, to him on that. And before you know it, you know, he accepted Jesus as his Savior. He saw a pool of water. He said, can I be baptized? And Philip baptized him. And when he was baptized, he was caught up and, and found himself 25 miles away. And I think it was Azotos, the city of Azotos. See, and Star Trek thought, beam me up Scotty was the first time. No, no. 
God actually took Philip uh, right out from under the Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch is credited for bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ into Ethiopia, which was a powerful Christian ministry at one time. Wisdom. Knowledge. What is knowledge? Well, the, the gift of knowledge is supernatural ability to apply both human and divine knowledge. Both. It's a supernatural ability to apply both human and divine knowledge. Okay? Let me give you a couple examples. First King or Second Kings chapter 6. Verse 13, Elisha knows that the Syrian king that is fighting against Israel um, tells them, tells Israel what exactly the Syrian army is going to do. Every time the Syrian army tries to attack Israel, their plans are squashed because Elisha already told the king what to do, you know, what was happening, and the king moved his forces or did whatever he did, what he did, Okay. Um, it was the divine knowledge that Elijah, Elisha was receiving from God because it couldn't have been known. The Syrian king thought that there were spies in his camp. But he found out it was this guy named Elijah, the prophet. And also in that same chapter, Elijah knows, you know, as uh, Elijah knows, he's, he's, he's in the city of, of Dotham, or I think, I think it was, yeah, Dotham, and Elijah knows that the army of Syria came against him to, to capture him, but Elisha knows that all around the mountain is chariots of fire. His servant says, says uh, there's, you know, what are we going to do? It's just you and me, and there, there's uh, the whole army of Syria. He says, there's more with us than with them, and he said, Lord, open my servant's eyes, and then he saw the chariots of fire. That was a supernatural knowledge, okay, given to him by God. He actually could let him see into the spiritual world for a while. In the New Testament, Peter's direction from the Spirit for Ananias and Sapphira. They sold a plot of land. And they said, well, we're going we're gonna to say to Peter, we're going to give all that we have, but they kept back a portion for themselves. How did Peter know? When she, they came to Peter, he asked the, the husband, is that the amount? And the guy said yes. And he dropped dead right there because he lied to the Holy Spirit. And then a couple hours later, his wife comes in and he, she, Peter asked him the same question. And she said, yes, that was the amount. And she dropped dead. This was the foundation of the Christian church. You aren't going to lie to the Holy Spirit. First of all, he knows what goes on. This was a warning to the church and an insight to the church that the Holy Spirit is, is one with God. Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Trinity, alive and well. How did, P how did Peter know that? Well, he had knowledge given to him by the Lord. Also in Acts chapter 10, Peter's direction by the Spirit to Cornelius' house. Pentecost fell, Peter's up and, you know, after Pentecost is over, Peter's up on the roof praying, and he drops, the Lord drops three sheets down with all different kind of animals in it, and he says, take and eat. 
And Peter's wondering, well, I never did this before. I ain't doing that. And God was talking to him about Cornelius. He was a, a centurion, a Gentile centurion who actually feared God. And God was saying to Peter, Peter, you go to his house. So sooner or later, there was a couple men at his door, at the door where he was at. They said, God, you know, our boss said, come get Peter. Peter went to the house. Peter preached to Cornelius, and the Holy Spirit fell on the house of Cornelius, and they began to speak with other tongues, and they began to, to, uh, to believe, and they were baptized, and that was the Gentile Pentecost took place where the Holy Spirit fell. That's what we need in the Christian church today. We need the Pentecost, the, the Spirit of God to just fall on these churches and wake us up. Because we're sleeping. And the devil's laughing all the way. Nobody's afraid of me anymore. They don't even think I exist. They think I'm a little red man running around with a, with a red pitchfork and a pointy tail. And meanwhile, he comes like an angel of light. And he traps so many Christians. We need the Pentecost to fall. You know what? We prayed this morning for revival before the service, me and a couple fellas. And, uh, you know, where revival starts with you. It starts with me. You want revival? God never stopped the revival. It's already going on. We're just not listening for the most part. So, knowledge. Okay, wisdom, knowledge, discerning of spirits. What is it? It's a supernatural ability to distinguish between human and demonic and divine works. You can distinguish. I can walk into a room sometime. I just feel the evil. I can just feel it. One time when I was just learning how to use this gift, I walked into a room in a church, and I felt this. I was part of the church. I was a pastor there. I walked into this room, and I felt so much evil. I turned around, and I start walking back. I said, I got to get out of here. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, what are you doing? And I realized what he was saying. He said, you turn around, you kick him out. So I did. I turned around. I said, oh, no, I'm not going. You are. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, be gone. In other words, I rebuked him in Jesus' name. I can't do that of myself, but in Jesus' name, we can do it. I got some references down the road here as we go on. Listen. Simon Peter in Acts chapter 8 was this guy named Simon that offered, uh, that was practicing sorcery. And he offered money for the Holy Ghost. And Peter discerned it right away. It was a demonic spirit. Okay? Paul in the same, in Acts chapter 13, the same thing. There was a guy named Elamis trying to stop the proconsul from accepting Christ, the leader in the government. And and Paul recognized that. He says, hey, you, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And he cast them out. It's a discerning of spirit. He recognized it, and he realized, I'm a saint. He's a devil. Who would God side with? Remember Daniel chapter 7? Uh, by verdict from the throne, throne, the ancient of days, perverted from the throne was I rule in favor of the saints. It's time for us to possess the kingdom. You know what Paul was doing, Peter was doing here? They were possessing the kingdom. They're saying, devil, you're not in control anymore. 
The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but that was prior to the cross. Remember, Jesus told us that's the devil's goal, steal, kill, and destroy, but it's prior to the cross. At the cross, Jesus defeated the enemy, crushed his skull. He made an open spectacle of him, triumphing over the devil through the cross. Jesus, you don't have, the devil can't kill you. Revelation chapter 1, 17 says, Jesus said, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I was dead, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys to hell and death. Jesus has the keys. You ain't going nowhere till God's done with you. How does he know? There's more on that situation. Paul also, and uh, you know, uh, many other times had done the same thing. Here's what he said in Acts chapter 16. Paul was fighting the devil here. Paul was greatly annoyed by this woman who had the spirit of devastation. Dem- uh, divination and she kept following Paul around saying these are men of the most high God listen to them she did it for days before he realized what it was so here's what he says to her I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and he came out that very hour see the power you have you have that kind of authority you're a soldier of Christ you have a sword of the spirit and a shield of faith in your hand use it that's what basic training was all about then there's the gift of faith. As I explained to you, that's the artillery. There's the artillery that blows up the mountain, moves it into the sea. But here's three types of faith. First of all, there's saving faith. Okay? Do you have saving faith? Or did you just make an intellectual knowledge and receive Christ as your Savior with your intellect? God doesn't look at your intellect. He looks at your heart. That's what he wants your heart. So if you made a commitment to Jesus Christ with your intellect, it's time for you to bow your heart before Jesus because that's what he's looking for. Okay? Saving faith. That's what saving faith is all about. Naaman in the Old Testament, the Syrian general who had leprosy, his servant girl said, if you just go to Israel, you know, there's a prophet there. He could heal you. And Naaman he made a trip. He got his king's permission, went to, went to Israel. He, he uh, came to Israel's place, and Israel, I mean, Elisha wouldn't even see him. He said, just tell your captain, your general, to go dip in the Jordan seven times. Naaman was so upset, and his servant said, listen, if he told you to do some great thing, would you have done it? He said, yeah. He said, why not do this little thing? Go dump yourself in a, dunk yourself in a Jordan seven times. And he did. And he raised up. His leprosy was gone. And what did he do? He went back to Syria. He told his king, he said, I will no longer offer sacrifice to your God anymore. I will offer sacrifice only to the God of Israel. You know what? Saving faith. And Acts, the Lord told me when I was first saved 43-plus years ago, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Well, that's simple, huh? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But then I looked up the word belief. Belief isn't just an acknowledgement. Belief is an adhere to, trust in, rely on. Glue, put super glue on both of your hands, and that's you and Jesus. 
stuck together like glue. There's sanctifying faith, and it's available to everybody. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Your sanctifying faith is walking it out. It's no longer you who live, it's Christ who lives in you. Work out your salvation. You know, you're God's workmanship created for good works in Christ Jesus. Then we got stewardship faith, which is supernatural faith to believe and expect great things. Expect it. When you lay hands on somebody, if they're blind, believe they're going to see. They might not, but don't get discouraged. There's something else wrong. It's not because of just your faith. There's a whole lot of things collect, connected to, to uh, f- uh, faith. You know, faith. People say, well, you, I must be lacking faith. No, you might be disobedient to some scripture. You might be treating your spouse like a bunch of garbage. You, you might have some unconfessed sin in your life. You know, you might have some unforgiveness in your life. It's not just, hey, I have enough faith that, that he's going to believe. No, look at yourself, find out what's wrong, and then you know, then keep on praying. Don't let the devil sit there and tell you a lie so you don't pray anymore. Then we got healing, gift of healing. What is healing? This is the power gifts now. We just went through the, the, the revelatory gifts. This is the power gift, okay? Healing. What is it? The supernatural ability to cure human sickness, whether physical, mental, or demonic, in type. It's like this is a soldier of Christ that is like a medic. He's a healer. He has the gift of healing. We know from the scriptures that Isaiah 53 says that by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. You're going to believe that? Or are you going to believe your mother, your father? How about even your doctor? You're going to take the word of God over your doctor or doctor over the word of God? I know it sounds weird, but I'm telling you what, God is able to heal. He's the great physician. We don't count him out. We go to him first. Elisha, in the first chapter of Kings, verse chapter 17, he raises a widow's son from the dead. Wow. Jesus, Peter, and Paul also did the same thing. There's gifts of miracles, and these gifts are close to one another. There's gifts of miracles. Which is, what is it? It's supernatural ability to perform activities outside the realm. Outside of this realm. Support, you know, um, supernatural, perform supernatural activities beyond that supersede the laws that we know. That we know. Exodus chapter 15 tells us that God said this, I am the Lord that heals you. If you study the scriptures, God is a God that loves to heal. Never when Jesus walked the earth did somebody come up to him and say, I I want you to heal me. And he said, no. He always healed every single time. That is his nature. 
He's not a God of wrath that throws thunderbolts at you. That is Zeus, and he's a Greek deity. Jesus don't throw thunderbolts. You say, well, how about the Old Testament? Well, there was a, the first 1,600 years or 2,000 years of, of the Bible, you know, there was no Mosaic law. The Jews didn't listen to Mosaic law. So God says, I'm going to create laws for you so that if you disobey them, you're going to be disciplined. Okay? But back when Jesus started walking the earth, those days are now over and God reverts back to his original nature, which is love, peace, healing, mercy, grace. And that's what we find in Jesus. May the God of peace bless you. We see this, you know, miracles, supernatural ability to perform beyond and supersede the laws of this world. We see that done by Old Testament, by Moses, Joshua, Elijah, Elisha, you know, um, Elisha, let's, Elisha, Elijah, and, and, and um, jo Joshua. They all parted the Red, not the Red Sea, but the Jordan River. All three of them parted the Jordan River. That is a supernatural ability. That's a miracle. I can't part no river. I know you can't. But, you know, in Second Kings chapter 6, one guy was working with an axe, and he borrowed the axe off his friend, and he was working with it. The head fell off and threw in the, fell into the water. And he was all worked up. Oh, man, he went and got Elisha, and Elisha said, uh, where did it drop in? So he t takes a piece of wood, throws it in the thing, and the axe head floats. It's a miracle. Well, you know, you look at that, that's a parallel to Christ. It is. If you're sinking, you put on the cross. You throw the cross on top of it, and you will rise up like on wings like eagles. It's all about Jesus. The whole thing here is about Jesus. You, start, you say, well, I know history. You know, history is his story. All of life is his story, Jesus' story. And it's all, most of history comes right out of this book right here. More reliable than any book in history. While Paul was preaching, Eutychus fell out of the window in that deep sleep, and he fell to the ground and, was, and he killed and Paul went down and laid on top of him and prayed over him and said, he's okay. He went back upstairs, started preaching again. And Eutychus got up, upstairs, there he goes. Miracles, miracles happen. Miracles are never for your glory. Never. Isaiah 42.8, Isaiah 48.11, here's what God says. Nobody's going to steal my glory. You know what the devil tried to do whenever he was thrown out of heaven? Steal God's glory. You steal God's glory, you're never more close to the devil than if you try to steal God's glory. So these people that have miracles and healing and gifts of them, if they think for one moment they did it, oh, they're stealing God's glory. Not right. I wouldn't doubt if God would say, you know, I ain't giving that gift to you anymore. You don't give, steal God's glory. There's prophecy, which is a vocal gift, the supernatural ability to obtain and communicate revelations from God. Some people have the gift of prophecy in the church. 
Sometimes he'll speak out a word of prophecy. A word of prophecy is not God loves you. He's going to tell you something. We know God loves us. He's going to tell you something. You know, um, and sometimes it's, it's in the church, not only do they speak in the native language, but sometimes they'll, they'll speak it in tongues, and somebody else in the church will interpret it. And it's a prophecy. It could be a prophecy. Okay? What? You know, these gifts are all pointing to one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, how about in the, in, uh, in, uh, in the Bible, the prophets that had, you know, prophecies? We see a lot of the prophets in the book. There's a lot of historical prophets, and there's a lot of writing prophets. A historical prophet would be somebody like Elisha and Elisha, Nathan, the judges of Israel, um, you know, John the Baptist, okay? There's writing prophets, of course, like Isaiah and Ezekiel. That doesn't mean their prophecies were any less important. Some of them, they, they call them uh, minor prophets and, and major prophets. Well, they're talking major because they wrote a lot. Minor because they didn't write so much. So, Agabus in the New Testament, Acts chapter 11, was a prophet. He grabbed Paul's belt, wrapped his hands up in it, and said, the man who wears this belt will be, you know, don't go. Don't go what you're going to do because he was going to go to, he was going to be taken to Rome and be, of course, um, guillotined after a while. Agabus was a prophet. We have prophets today. We know in Acts also 21 that Philip, one of the deacons, the appointed in the church, his four daughters were all prophetesses. Yet we don't know what they prophesied. It's not written anywhere. We know a couple of Agabus, as he predicted. He prophesied about a famine, and it happened. We find that he talked about Paul, and it happened. So he had the gift of prophecy. And in the New Testament, it's more of a foretelling, like I'm doing now. In the Old Testament, it's more like a foretelling of things to come. But there are... Um, prophecies of the future. You've got a lot of them pointing to the book of Revelation, as you know, in the Bible. You know what prophecy is? It's the testimony of Jesus, according to Revelation 19.10, I believe it is. Tongues. It's a vocal gift. What is it? It's supernatural ability to have communication with God that no one else, that no one else knows. The Spirit is interceding with your spirit. And he's telling you how to pray. You don't know how to pray. There's one point in the Scriptures that says, the Spirit intercedes with your spirit with groanings too deep for words. That's Romans 8.26. Some of us sometimes, we, don't, we go to prayer and we're hurting so bad that we groan. God knows exactly what that groan is. He knows. There's people in this church that lost loved ones. And their hearts are groaning right now, you know, to, to whatever, natural death or anything else. You know, they're groaning. And I'm telling you what, I think that's a form of tongues. I know I've done that many times, even though I, I do have the gift of tongues. But there's many times when I just groaned. But I know what God was, I know that God knew what I was groaning about. And the Spirit was interceding for me. Again, that's the Morris Code. 
you're talking to God in a language that nobody knows, and even the devil don't know it, so his plans are thwarted. He don't know what to do to come against you. There's the interpretation of tongues, which is a supernatural ability to translate messages spoken in tongues. Somebody would speak in tongues here, and another person would interpret those tongues for the church. Okay? Um, giving. There's people that have the gift of giving. The supernatural ability to give large sums of money, time, possessions, gifts, talent. There are people like that in the world that are ready. You know, they, they have the gift of giving to help. We need to do that in the church today. You know, if you read the book of Acts, you'll find out that uh, deacons were appointed so that the apostles could devote themselves to the word and prayer. But if your pastor's cutting the lawn every week, you, you know, there should be somebody in the church that has the gift of giving of time that can, can help the pastor or the leaders to, to have time to devote themselves to the word of God and prayer. It's important. Some people have that supernatural ability. And in Exodus chapter 36 in the Old Testament, people had gave time and talent. They brought their, they were talented. And here, here's one here. Uh, everyone whose heart was stirred up came to do the work in the temple, and they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing him free will offerings every morning. And all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each one from the work he was doing. And they spoke to Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded. So these people had talents. They came to the temple. They did their weaving. They did their sewing. They did their carving. They did their uh, covering with gold. They were working with not just money, but time. People talk and tithe their time. A lot of people give possessions, not so much in this country, but if you're in some other countries and the hat goes around, so many people put a chicken in there. You know, it's just the way it is over there. Because, you know, they're not worried about so much money. They're worried about eating. So giving is for the lay soldiers, the ones that, you know, that um, are really just laying around. I put it that way. A lot of people, we need to get active, church. We need to get active. We need to use these gifts. We need to do these gifts. And your pastor has to have time to study and pray. Exhortation, number 11. Ability to encourage and challenge another believer. This is what, you know what Jonathan did? He actually went against his dad, Saul, who was removed from the throne by Almighty God. Jonathan was next in line to be king, but he knew he wasn't supposed to be king. He encouraged David to be king. He refused his kingship, and, and he went with the exhortation to exhort David because he knew he was, the, he was the future king of Israel because his dad blew it so bad. 
Barnabas was an encourager. Where would we be? Almost half of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. And if it wasn't for an encourager like Barnabas, which his name means son of encouragement, if it wasn't for him, where would Paul be? We need the encouragers. That's what's bad about this COVID thing right now. The bars are packed, but the church is empty. Explain that one to me. We're supposed to be the ones with strength and courage. We're supposed to be the ones that have faith that moves that COVID out of our way. I speak specifically to it. COVID-19, get to the pit in Jesus' name. Don't you dare attack me. All you COVIDs, you know, COVID-1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, all the way up. I'm rebuking you all in Jesus' name. You can still do that and maybe even had it one time. You ain't getting it again because you're going to speak the word of God. You know, we need the encouragers. You don't get that encouragement. You're to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. All the more as the time draws near, which it means the coming of Christ. Listen, if you're watching T, if you, I'm not knocking pastors on TV and radio. I think they're great, but you don't get any encouragement from your brothers and sisters watching a TV. You need to get out to church and exercise our faith. I understand that some of us are older and we have to be careful, then be careful. Wisdom applies. Common sense applies. But why is the bars full and the church empty? I don't know. Does alcohol kill COVID? Or do they have more faith than we do? Aren't we supposed to be the ones to show the world? In war, people die. It's just all there is to it. There's no way around it. Judas, not Iscariot, in Acts chapter 15, and Silas, being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. Helps. Supernatural ability to give practical help both physically and spiritually. There was a girl in the, well, let's, excuse, let's go to the Old Testament first. There was a, a priest named Ahimelech. He helped David when Saul was chasing him, and he gave him the sword of Goliath. Do you know that it cost him his life when Saul found out that he gave the sword of Goliath to David? He executed him. But he was a helper. He helped the future king of Israel. There's a New Testament. There's a girl named Phoebe, you know, and, um, and she, she has been given help, gifts of help, and helped many people within the church. There was this another lady named Dorcas in Acts chapter 9. She was full of good works, and she died. And Lydia came along, and she heard that, that uh, Peter was in Joppa. She went to Joppa. She gets Peter, tells her this, this beautiful woman, Dorcas, that did all good works, has died. And Peter came, and he raised her from the dead in Jesus' name. That helps. If it wasn't for Lydia, 
Phoebe would still be in heaven at this time. Then there's a gift of mercy, the supernatural ability to minister to the sick and the suffering. We just learned about, about Peter coming to, to uh, Dorcas's house because she had died. In the New Testament and the Old Testament, we see that, that Elisha and Elisha, Jesus, Peter, Dorcas, Lydia, you know, they, uh, they ministered to the sick people, the blind and the, blind, the, the, uh, the sick and the needy. Boy, I'm almost there to the end. Pretend like you're in Jamaica, okay? And go a little longer than an hour. Listen, I always say it. You can stay here and be with the King of Kings, or you can go to Burger King. I'd rather be with the King of Kings. Sorry. Listen, where was I? Okay, supernatural ability to minister to sick people. We do it in the church all the time. This altar's always open. You can come here. Peter and John were walking at a temple, beautiful gate, and there was a guy there begging for money. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. You know what? I'll take that gift if I was lame before the money. See, we, we, we have that, that is a gift of mercy. You look at somebody that's blind or deaf or poor, and you say, i got to help. You have a gift of mercy. You see the guys on the street corner standing out there, you know, with a leg missing or an arm missing, you know, you say, i got to help him. I'm going to help him. You see somebody hungry and you feed them. There's gifts of administration, which is a supernatural ability to, to organize, to administer, to manage and provoke people and ventures. Nehemiah had that gift. He was called to Jerusalem to rebuild the, the wall and the temple. Ezra was his backup. Ezra was the one, he was the priest in charge of the prayer. And it all worked together, the administrations. Okay? Um, in the New Testament, Titus, Paul talks to Titus and he says, A true son in the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this reason I left you in Crete. He left, Paul leaves Titus in Crete. Why? Here's the answer. That you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. He was an administrator. It needs to be done in the church where you don't know how to organize things. And somebody's got to take the handle on that, whatever it is that we, we do. Uh, teaching, supernatural ability to communicate God's truth to the people. I hope you understand what I'm, I'm trying to say here today. You're a soldier of Christ. You've been trained. You've been given gifts by God. You've been trained to use those gifts. Apply them teaching Ezra did the teaching while Nehemiah was was building a wall they had a sword in this hand and a trow in the other because there were enemies out there that didn't want the wall built we had in the New Testament we have Apollos comes in Acts chapter 18 he's preaching the gospel but he was only preaching the gospel of John really John so here comes a couple other uh, encouragers a little deeper uh, who were, who were um, 
Aquila and Priscilla, and they take Apollos aside and they taught him a deeper scriptures, got into the scriptures deeper. And of course, Paul, Apollos and them um, hit it off real well and they ministered together. They set aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Even though he was preaching the gospel, this minister, Apollos, still needed to learn more. Just because you're a pastor, an elder, a deacon, you have 10 theological degrees, does not mean you can't learn from somebody else. That's called humility. Um, then where's... Um, about it. I think I covered them all. There's leading. Yeah, there's one more leading. You know, as I said about jo uh, Josiah, King Josiah, eight years old when he took the throne of Israel, he began to lead when he was eight years old. When he was 16 years old, all his buddies should have been, but have been, I don't know, ostracizing him because he was a Jesus freak. He wasn't a Jesus freak. He was a Yo Jehovah freak. Okay, yeah, but said. So, but he didn't let them stifle him. He went out with his men. He helped tear down all these altars. He just didn't give the order. He went with them. He wanted it done for sure. So anyway, I think that's the end of it. I said administration and teachers. I had to rush through the end, and I'm going to end it here. But that's lesson four. You're a soldier. It's time to find out what gifts you have. Put your gifts to use in the church in which you belong. Okay? All right, Father, thank you for this word. Lord God, your word's so beautiful, so deep, Lord. We can't possibly understand it completely, but we want to, Lord, because we want to be more like you. Father, today, if anybody in this church or anybody out there has not answered the call when Jesus said, I want you, I pray today that they would do it with all of their heart, with all of their soul, and with all of their might. Don't let them miss heaven by the 18 inches between their head and their heart. Let them come to Jesus now with a simple prayer of repentance. Lord, I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to give me the Holy Spirit to help me in my walk with you. And may I, may I become the saint of God that you want me to be. With all of my heart, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. I love you all.